Well, it doesn't seem real summery today, but summer is upon us now, and it's a season that we look forward to, and a season that we want to really make uh, productive in terms of our fellowship with the Lord, and I've been praying for you guys, and praying about this, and, and uh, this series, uh, we have about 13 weeks of a summer, we have about three months, we have about 90 days, and there is a distinct season there, you know, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, and we want to make much of that. I want to help you, and I want to help me know God by heart this summer. And to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to have messages that are based on who God is and what he's like, and in particular what that means to us personally. The attributes of God. Sometimes we say the attributes of God, who God is, what he's like. And we're beginning today with that God knows everything, his wisdom, his knowledge, and his wisdom. And in particular, what that has to do with you and me. And that's uh, the study that we're going to do this, this, uh, this summer. Uh, Hannah, uh, one of our girls over there, wave your hand so everyone knows who you are. That's nice. Went off to, to Lake Ann to be a counselor a few years ago. Uh, Hannah, you remember this? And I said, well, well, you know, I wanted to, I spent some time with you ahead of time, kind of coaching you and talking to you about how to give counsel to girls and what to share with them. And you had, a, I got your new Bible, remember that? And we took your Bible and we marked a psalm, and it was Psalm 139. And I kind of walked her through how, I always think when I'm with young people, I like them to understand Psalm 139. Because it has to do with what God knows and not just what God knows about the stars or the sparrows or the planets or the past or the future. But Psalm 139, especially the first six verses, talks about what God knows about each of us, what God knows about you. How wonderful that God knows everything and that God knows you and he understands you. How wonderful that God has made it so clear in his word that he knows you and he understands you. Psalm 139 is where we're going to root this message today. It's probably the key text in the Bible about God's knowledge of us. And we are talking about the attributes of God, God's, God's knowledge altogether. There's something miraculous that happens when a believer who has the Holy Spirit in them concentrates on who God is and what God's like when when a believer looks deeply at God from the inside of their heart, or when a believer savors the Lord, tastes the Lord and the things of the Lord, something miraculous happens. You know the verse, if you know me, 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are transformed into the same image from one level of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is a promise from the Bible that we can be transformed inside out by admiring qualities of God. And so that's what we're going to do this summer. I hope that it won't just be, you know, 12 talks. There's going to be Bob Kaysen will give a talk later in the summer. Uh, Tom Harmon will give a talk in July. Uh, Lord willing, if the Lord gives me strength and allows me to do it, I'll, I'll speak to you 12 times this summer here. And, uh, and that will be our, the 14 weeks uh, this summer uh, in, the, in the pulpit on Sunday morning that we're, they're highlighting who God is and what he's like. This will be fuel for you to worship, to root your heart in God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you come to the end of the summer and it's made a difference in your life? How are you going to be different and better 
at the end of the summer when Labor Day comes, uh, you have between Memorial Day and Labor Day, concentrate on growing to know God by heart. So that's what we want to do. So the attributes of God are one thing. The attributes of God as the needs that you have is kind of how we're going to approach this. You need God. Now let's just like give you, let me give you a couple of examples. Like today, there's a lot you don't know. But God is what? Omniscient. He knows everything. There's a lot you can't do. There are things that only God can do, but God, there's nothing that God can't do. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And so what does his power have to do with your weakness? A lot. You're conscious of your weakness, conscious of his power. That's going to make a difference, right? So he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. You can't be everywhere at once. Some of you aren't even all here today. You can't be everywhere at once. God can be everywhere at once. You only know here and now and maybe a few things from your past. You don't know the future. He knows the past, the future, and he has a keen awareness of what really is present right now. You can watch the news and you still can't figure out what's going on in the world. Everyone has their theories. Are they true? Are they false? Who do I believe? So one would root oneself in God. And that's what we're going to do. And so today, here's a kind of, a, I'll give you the, the kind of the bones so that you kind of know where we're headed here between now and lunch. Uh, we're going we're gonna to say three things. We're going to amplify three things from scriptures. One is that you and I, our, our knowledge is limited. There's probably another way of saying that would be we're kind of ignorant. There's just a lot we don't know. Human beings, knowledge is limited. We'll talk about that a bit. Then we'll, we'll contrast that with God. His knowledge is what the Bible calls infinite. It's without end, without measure. He knows everything. That's super significant. But now here's the third thing that we're going to say. And that is, though, that way God has designed it, the fill in the gaps of our ignorance, the fill in the gaps of our lack of knowledge, we have the privilege of intimacy with God through Christ. And so he can tell us the stuff that we need to know. There I am. I just preached the message in a little short bit. So you can go to sleep now if you want to. But then after that, I'm going to give you some things, if we have time, and I think we will. I'm going to share some things. Well, how, about, how would I go about, Pastor, would you make some personal suggestions to me from the Bible about how I would go about knowing God by heart this summer? And so we're going to do that. That's what we're up to. First, our knowledge and our wisdom are limited. Let's just think about that for a little bit. Solomon said that. He was wise. He was very wise, but he was wise enough to know that at his very best, he, was, he had serious pockets of ignorance. Here's what he said. This is how he said it in Proverbs 30, 2 and 3. Surely I'm more stupid than any man. And I don't have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have a knowledge of the Holy One. He felt that expressed it in Ecclesiastes 1. All this like knowledge and learning. If you're really smart and if you really study hard, and if you go to school for a long time, it's not like you get the answers, right? If you're smart, you know that when you go to school for a long time, you get the questions. You now have a better idea what the questions are, not so much what all the answers are. And that's what uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes said in Ecclesiastes 1.17. Then I applied myself to understanding and of wisdom. But I learned that this too is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Job understood this. In Job 23, he's talking about he's going through this suffering and remember that he was a perfect, right, up, perfect and upright man. He feared God and he, 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 he eschewed evil. Remember that? And yet he says in, in, in Job 23, Look, I go forward 
and he is not there. I go backward and I can't perceive him. When he works on the left, I can't behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I can't see him. Job's complaining, I can't find God. I know he's there, but I, but I can't find him. You ever feel that way? I, I, they tell me that God is you know, imminent. He's everywhere present and nearby, but I kind of don't see him. I don't hear from him. Job his says, his, he's saying, his knowledge is limited, right? You guys, I probably don't need to convince you of this. 1 Timothy 6 says, and it's worse that sin comes in, and it makes our lack of knowledge or our ignorance, if you will, it makes it even worse. It distorts what we do know. Sin distorts what we do know. And 1 Timothy 6.20 says, Turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas what's falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing, they've wandered from the faith. And you all have met people who the smarter they get, the farther they get away from God. And they think they're smart, but really they're foolish. And we don't, want to be a, we don't want that to be true about us. James talks about that uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the book of James in chapter uh, 3. And listen to this, chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, don't boast against and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. It is earthly and sensual and demonic. Where where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. He's, He's talking about those kinds of things when people... Are, are envious and jealous and angry and they fuss and they might say they're wise or they know a lot, but according to James, according to the Bible, no, that wisdom doesn't come from above. It's earthly, it's sensual, it's demonic. So there is a knowledge or a wisdom that's not from God. And that's why the Bible tells us not to depend on our own understanding, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't depend on your own understanding, So there's much that we don't know. Let's just admit that at the beginning. Much of what we think we know, we probably don't know. We all operate with very limited knowledge, and no one is more foolish than the person who says that he knows it all. I think it was 16, 17 years ago, I first went up to Camp Barakel, and I spoke at Camp Barakel to some young people, and I prayed about what I would speak about, and the Lord directed me to Psalm 139. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139 if you haven't already done that. We're going to notice that today. But I spoke to these young people about what God knows about them. And, and one of the things I told them is that God knows them better than they know themselves. Uh, and so here's one of the examples that I used there. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. This maybe won't be as relevant for some of you if it was for them. But I said, how many of you know who you're going to marry? Well, they were like older junior high kids. Some of them knew. Some of them thought they had an idea, but none of them knew. Who are you going to marry? I don't know. I said, how would you like it if I gave you a picture of the person you're going to marry? They were like, yeah, that would be great. Kind of eliminate a lot of the trouble there. It's like, nope, that's not him. If you had a picture of who you're going to marry... And God doesn't give you a picture of who you're going to marry. That might freak you out anyway, right? So you don't get a picture of who you're going to marry. Why, why does God not do that? It would seem like that would be a nice thing. He knows everything. He's like, hey, you're wasting your time over there with her. Seriously, you're burning your money, man. Do not buy her flowers and do not take her out for dinner. You are throwing your money down a hole right there. That's not her. Here's a picture. Put it in your wallet. When you meet her, you're going to know it. Why doesn't he do it that way? You're worried about your health. How long am I going to live? 
What, what, what is going to eventually claim my life? Will I make it to the rapture or will I have a hole in the ground somewhere? Well, God knows that. Why doesn't he tell us that? Why don't he just say, well, hey, what's going to happen, Ken? This is how many years you have left. Go to work. You're running out of time. He doesn't do that. Might be my last message, Jeff. Might, you know, just proudly announce a series. This is what we're going to do this summer. And God says, no, that's not what you're going to do this summer. I have other plans for you. He might have other plans for us. Why is it that he does that? It's intentional. He wants our knowledge to be limited. He wants us to recognize that his knowledge is infinite. He knows everything. And there's only one logical reason that God would allow our knowledge to be finite or limited and his knowledge to be infinite. That is he's saying, I want you to stick with me. I'm going to show you where to go. I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to show you what I want you to do. I'm going to show you where I want you to go. I'm going to show you who you're going to marry or who you're not going to marry. I want you to have a relationship with me. And it's great for us to acknowledge that our knowledge is limited. And his knowledge is not, not limited, it's, it's infinite. So we're in uh, the Pacific Northwest. Did you catch that? I put a couple pictures on Facebook, like 75, I think. Yeah, we were in the Pacific Northwest visiting Holly and her new husband in their home, which is in the absolute northwest corner of the state of Oregon in a town called Astoria in the mouth of the Columbia River. It's an amazing place. So she takes us on our first morning to a coffee shop which happens to be built on pilings on an old cannery way out over the mouth of this river. And when I say river, it looks like one of the Great Lakes. It's a huge mouth of the river, the Columbia River, second largest river in the nation. So we're sitting there, and we look up, and there are huge ships in the mouth of the river, huge ships. I have the feeling like I normally do when I watch planes fly overhead at night. Where are they coming from? Where are they going? Who's on that plane? What are they thinking? What's their story? But it's a mystery. I don't know. I figured out recently there's an app called Planes Overhead. Please don't look this up while I'm speaking. Yeah. But there is an app called Planes Overhead. And you can actually look at the app and see where the planes are going and where they're coming from. But you don't know the stories of the passengers that are fighting for elbow room on the plane. And when I looked out into the mouth of the Columbia River and I saw all those ships out there, I thought, where did they come from? Where are they going? What are they carrying? What's their story? All I see is the big name on the side. So I go back to the coffee shop a couple of days later because they had the mother of all lemon cupcakes with blueberries and icing. And I go back and get a cup of coffee and I say to the girl, don't you wish you knew where those ships were going and where they came from and what they're carrying? And she goes, oh, I know. How do you know that? She said, there's a, there's, a, there's a site on the internet, and they track those ships. Sure enough, I looked it up. You can see where they came from, where they're going. So you see, I had knowledge. There are ships in the harbor. She had knowledge of where the ships came from, where they're going, and what they're carrying. Unless, of course, they're carrying something they're not supposed to be carrying, which happens from time to time. But God knows the secret thoughts of every sailor on that ship. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows their past. He knows their present. He knows their future. He knows everything about everything. Here's what the Bible says. Psalm 147, 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. It has no limits. He sees every fallen sparrow. He names every star. He knows the movements and the motives of every angel in heaven and every demon in hell. This is our God. There's nothing that 
he doesn't know. Now, God knows you. Look in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word on my tongue. But behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain to it. Notice these things. God knows your inmost soul. That's what verse 1 says. You've searched me and known me. He knows your inmost soul. Do you? No, he don't. You only think you do. God knows the deepest thoughts of your heart. Look at verse 2. You know, my sitting down, my rising up, you understand my thought afar off. You know what I'm going to think and what I'm thinking and the deepest thoughts of my heart. God knows where you've been, where you are, and he knows where you're going. Look at verse 3. See that? You comprehend my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. You realize what I'm saying here is that if you get to know God by heart, you get to know God well in the deepest part of your heart, you know someone who knows everything about you, where you've been, where you are, where you're going. The deepest thoughts of your heart and the darkest parts of your soul. He knows what you're going to say. How scary is that? Uh, verse 4, there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. God knows everything that you're going to say. And he has encompassed your life. He's surrounded your life. Verse 5 says, you've hedged me behind and before, laid your hand upon me. He's surrounded your life. He knows things about you that you don't even know can be known. His knowledge about you is beyond your ability to understand. Verse 6, such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's high, and I cannot attain to it. He understands you better than you understand yourself. Can you see how important it is to get to know him by heart? Because he really knows you, even though you don't know yourself. Now, let's just think a little bit about what God knows. God knows you better than you know yourself. God knows all about your past, even the parts that you want to forget. God knows your future, sees it clearly. God knows your ways. God knows our weaknesses. Psalm 103, 14 says he knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. He knows where we're weak, where we're tempted, and where we're likely to fail. He knows our fears, our anxieties, our sins, and our secrets. Scriptures say in Hebrews 4, 13, all things are naked and open before the eyes of him. He knows everything. He knows our foolishness. Our foolish deeds. I remember when I was about 14, I was riding my bike down the street one day. I was in a hurry to get somewhere. So I looked both ways like you're supposed to. But I overlooked the car, which was always parked on the street in front of the house, and ran into it. Worst part about that was embarrassing. I lay on the street moaning and writhing in pain. My brothers came out and said, what happened? I said, I ran into the car. They said, well, it's always there. I go, oh, no, I, I just didn't see it. In the 70s, cars were really big, too. Like, I just ran out of the car. And I was laying on the street moaning. And you know, I was just foolish. And he saw that. He saw that time my dad told me. He said, Kenny, Kenny when, when you put gas in a mower, don't overflow it. Because it could start a fire 
you know, there's a spark plug right there. It makes a spark, boom. It could, you know, gas is volatile. It can cause an explosion. He said, but if you do overflow it, don't start the mower up right away. You know, dry off the gas and make sure that all the gas is dry before you start it or else you could have an explosion because gas is really volatile. We're having guests over, and I was trying to impress my dad about how fast I was mowing the lawn. Ran out of gas, filled it up, ran it over. I thought, well, you know, I've never actually seen a lawnmower blow up and burn 30 feet in the air. I don't know if that had really happened. My dad's just kind of an overcautious type anyway. I pulled that cord. You should have seen a fire. And it was like, boom. It blew up and burned 30 or 40 feet in the air. Just like, it's very impressive. <laughs> I was like, whoa. This is really foolish. I'm going to burn myself. Our guests that were coming were, he was a fireman. Because <laughs> that's how it works, right? I remember just watching that thing burn going, whoa, that's the end of that lawnmower. <laughs> you know, just burning away. I look over and there's Charlie Davis, the fireman. His whole family just kind of leaning on the back fence going, whoa. That's a bad God saw that and every other foolish thing I have done in my life, which I am not going to tell you about. He saw everything. He knows the foolish things you're going to do. He knows your failures, right? He knows your darkest secrets. He knows your deepest regrets. He knows the saddest times in your life. He knows your failures, your mistakes, your regrets, your scars your fears, your pain. He knows everything. The Bible says in Psalm 56, 8, in a beautiful poetic way, he knows your tears, your sorrows. He actually says he captures your tears in a bottle. Do you know that in the ancient Near East, they did that, actually literally did that? It's called a lacrimal. Lacrimal. To show someone how much you mourned their passing, you got a lacrimal. You caught the tears in a bottle. You showed it to, the, to a person that was like away at war. When they came back, you showed them the little bottle of your tears. For some of you, that's a really big bottle. Some of you probably could have filled a bottle this week with what you went through. Some of our members right now are going through some really scary times, dark times, scary times. And the Bible says that their God up in the heaven, he, he notices every tear, puts them in a bottle. He makes a record, and he has a bottle, and he has a book. Did you know that? That's what he says. Psalm 56, you can look it up. Verse 8. He knows who's threatening you. I like this. He knows who's misunderstood you, or he's threatening you. Not only does he name the stars, but he notices every fallen sparrow. He says this. Jesus must have regularly in his itinerant ministry talked about the fallen sparrow because we know this because it's in two different gospels in two different ways. And that's why I have this unique title, two for a penny and five for two. You know what that's about? The price of sparrows in the Bible. They're two for a penny. That's what Jesus said one day when he was teaching. He said two sparrows are sold for a copper coin, kind of like two for a penny. But another day when he was speaking, he he gave a different price. He said, or five for two pennies. Which means 
there's an odd sparrow thrown in there that's worthless. You just get five for two or two for one. Sparrows are just sparrows. My knucklehead kid, Chuck, who God gave me so I would have great sermon illustrations, <laughs> went fishing eight times this week, Todd. What do you think of that? Eight times. Have you been out eight times this week? I don't think so. To earn a living, right? You have a wife. And she's like, Todd, no, you can't, Todd, you can't fish eight times this week. What about you, Jeff? Were you out eight times this week? Jeff was actually out eight times. He's just smiling, so we know, no. Well, Chuck fished eight times. And uh, he said, uh, one day he ran into a little, little critter. It looks like our dog with black spray paint, but it's really a, a baby raccoon. So Chuck says it's a video talking with this raccoon that comes up and licks the camera of his phone. He told me, he said, Dad, you know what I told him? He looked like he lost his mom and he was cold and he was shivering. And I said to him, God sees you. Well, he's on good footing there because that's what Jesus said. And this was the context. He said, when people attack you, when people misunderstand you, when people threaten you, I want you to remember something. I've numbered all the hairs on your head and not a sparrow falls without my notice and you are of much more value than many sparrows. That's how God knows you. Is that how you think about God? One of the, one of the, the beginnings of really knowing God by heart is knowing how much he knows you. He never overlooks your sin and though we all rush to put those on Christ and on Calvary, he also never overlooks your, your good deeds. This is what Matthew 6, 4 says. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly when you do a secret good deed. And so that's why Paul gets to this great climax of Romans in chapter 11 and verse 33. and says, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. His ways are past finding out. He just flourishes with praise. God knows everything. And so the idea is this. God wants us to be aware of his infinite knowledge and our finite ignorance, and he wants us to recognize that we need him and that we need to walk with him in fellowship. It's almost like he's saying, I'm not going to send you places. I'm going to take you places. You, you stay with me. I will show you the way. He doesn't say, I show the way. He says, I am the way. So it's like, you know, that person that's not really very good in the store, and you say, do you have oil? And they say, yeah, if we have oil, it's in the oil section. And you want to go, thank you, that is so helpful. Where's the oil section, you know? And the other person, it's on aisle 19, on the bottom, three-quarters of the way back. That's good. That's good. I can do that. But here's my favorite people. They go, here, come with me. Right? Come with me. Then they become the way. They got this guy, I'm, he's ignorant. I can tell by looking at him. If I give him the number, he is going to come back and ask me again. Here, you come with me. And then they walk over there, and they are the way. And they show you the way. And Jesus wants you to know this. He says, I am the way, and I'm the truth. I know you're ignorant. I know there are things that you don't know. I know there's so much, there's so many pockets of ignorance. But I'm going to be your wisdom. I'm going to be your knowledge. This is so wonderful. And this is what the scriptures say. Wouldn't it be horrible if God knew everything about you, but he wasn't for you, he was against you? Wouldn't that be bad? And that's, of course, true of everyone who's not under the protective 
covering of, of Jesus. But those of us who are in Christ, who are believers in Christ, who have fled to Christ, and we're in him. Here's what the Bible says, Romans 8, 32. You know it. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? You say, people are against me. It doesn't matter if God is for you. It doesn't matter who is against you. If God is, understands you, it doesn't matter who misunderstands you. If God knows your darkest secrets and your deepest regrets and he washes them away with his blood, it doesn't even matter what anybody else says or thinks or does or even what you think or do because he's the one who really matters. Proverbs 9, 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And Ephesians 1, 17 says, The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation, and a knowledge of him. The Bible says of the followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13, they were bold and they perceived they were uneducated, untrained men, and they marveled, they realized they had been with Jesus, right? Colossians 2 says in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Isaiah, in a passage, a beautiful passage in Isaiah, says, Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she's born? Even if that was possible, God says, I will never forget you. I have engraved your name on the palms of my hand. So Christ, in Christ, God knows us, and he loves us. When I was a boy, we went to Winona Lake to the Bible conference in the big Billy Sunday tabernacle with the uh, sawdust floor. And Al Smith was there, a great guy that uh, was a song leader and songwriter. He wrote this old chorus, you know. Back then we sang it. It was a modern chorus then. It's kind of called, I Know Who Holds... Tomorrow, and he know he holds my hand. I remember that as a boy. I loved singing that. I'd sing around the house. I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. With God, things don't just happen. Everything by him is planned. So as we face tomorrow, with its problems great and small, I'll trust the God of miracles. Give to him my all. Remember that. I just loved the picture of that song when I was a boy. I know who holds tomorrow, and I know he holds my hand. Sometimes the tears cloud my eyes. I can't find my way home. Sometimes it's dark and scary, and I don't know where to go. And then I reach in the dark for a hand, and he takes my hand, and he walks me home. And I'm safe with him, and it's good because he knows me. And in Christ, he loves me. How wonderful is that? Now, let me give you this before we go. I don't know the way, but I know the one who knows the way. Here's some suggestions about how to get to know God by heart this summer. The Spirit may tell you other ones that are better than mine. Here they are. Number one, live with a reverent awareness of God this summer. Live with a reverent awareness of God this summer. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, calls it the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. Be aware of God all around you and what he's doing. So do that. When you're at the beach, when you're out under a shade tree, when you're taking a walk in the neighborhood, when you're working, just have this, cultivate this uh, reverent awareness of God in whatever you're doing this summer. And it might be good just to kind of plan times at the lake or whenever you can. 
where you, where you cultivate this reverent awareness of God. I was with a guy this week, and he's a pastor, one of Holly and Jesse's pastors is a guy named Mike uh, Slipkoff. He was here at their wedding. Great guy. And he, Kyle was visiting out there, and, and, and he was driving. Our son Kyle had visited out in Oregon, and he was driving with, uh, with Pastor Mike, and he hit a deer. <laughs> Kyle said he's a real sweet guy. He's a really godly, sweet guy. Loves the Lord. You just Being around him is one of those guys, you just, you just a revival being around a person like that. Kyle says he gets out and the deer is like writhing in the road. So, you know, he knows the deer's suffering and he feels bad about that. And he just prays. He prays for the deer. He's like, well, you know, you see every creature, Lord, and you know this animal is suffering. I met him for coffee, not the deer, the pastor. I met him for coffee uh, under the bridge there in Astoria in this really cool coffee shop. And I show up and I'm, I'm, I'm there ahead of him a little bit. And a woman walks up to me and and she looked like she might not have spent the night like in a house or in a regular bed. Maybe she did. I, she looked like uh, she didn't have a lot of advantages. And, and I, I looked over at her, and I'm new in town, so I didn't know what to think. And she gave me a big smile. And when she did that, I noticed that most of the teeth on this side of her mouth were gone. But still she smiled. And she said hello, and I just tentatively said hi and didn't really talk to her that much. Just when Pastor Mike showed up for coffee... He walked in, and when he saw her, he says her name, and he, and he kind of went across the coffee shop, and he just gave her a big hug. She's an old woman, older woman. Gave her a big hug. I thought her name was Kathy or whatever. He said, oh, hi, Kathy. How are you doing? He said, hey, Pastor Mike. They just had a really nice talk. He says, Pastor Pierpont, I want you to meet a friend of mine. He introduced me. He said, this is Holly's dad. Oh, I know Holly. He said, she, she, this woman, Karen, whatever her name was, he said, she, climbed uh, uh, Mount St. Helens with me all the way to the top. Like, you were kidding me. They talked for a long time, and I realized that Mike was a real pastor who really loved regular people, whether they had teeth or not. He, and when he did that, I just sensed the presence of the Lord in the coffee shop. I just sensed the presence of the Lord. And if you are open to the presence of the Lord this summer, he will show himself to you in just kind and loving acts that you can do for other people, in a listening ear and spending time with your family and cultivating relationships with them and enjoying nature. Can I just say as a pastor, can I suggest to you that you live with a, a, with a reverent awareness of God? And second, receive the wisdom that comes from his word. I would be remiss in not telling you that if you want wisdom or knowledge, it comes from God's revealed word. So obviously the word is always going to be a part of this. And what I suggest that there's no shortcuts, no secrets. Just open your Bible this summer and get in your Bible and study your Bible and, 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 and refresh your approach to the Bible. The scriptures say in Psalm 119, I have more understanding than my teachers because your word has been my meditation. And Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And, 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 and in 2 Timothy 3.15 Remember this, Paul's talking to Timothy, from childhood you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise in the salvation. And so I would suggest that you read the Bible this summer looking for personal messages from God. I don't mean that you misinterpret the Bible. Please don't do that. I'm just saying, let me give you a couple of examples real quickly. One of them, I was reading the Bible this week, and I saw the Pacific Ocean for the first time in my life. So I've been to California to speak, but I've never been to the ocean before. So I saw the Pacific Ocean for the first time in my life. 
It was an amazing thing to see. So the next morning, we're with our family, and I open up Psalm 139. And it says, when I take the wings of the morning, and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, and your right hand will hold me. Like, that was so beautiful. And so when everybody got up, I, I read it again. When I take the wings of the morning, and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you're there with me. Read the Bible because God has written it to you and to your heart and for that day. And another day I got up and the bagel I was eating was really good. I was thinking about eating another one. So like two bagels. I'm a big guy. I could probably do that. And I was reading my Bible. And there's the drunkenness part. I always like to find the drunkenness parts because I'm like against that. So, you know, it's bad. I don't drink. I've never been drunk. So it's easy to preach about that one. You know, it's like you drunkards, you know. It's, so why get on top of that one and So I'm reading that, and it says, um, the passage says, don't be among drunkards and gluttons. Like, I hate this Bible reading today. I'm looking for a drunkard passage, and I got a glutton passage, and now I can't eat that second bagel. So I try to be careful about that. But, you know, I'm kidding around about it, but isn't the Bible wise? Don't overeat, Ken. That's not good for you. Be among drunkards and gluttons. So when you read your Bible this summer, can I suggest that you read it with a trembling anticipation? It's not just I'm doing my duty and I'm checking my box and I'm reading my Bible. No, no, no. It's like you're knowing God by heart. So open a Bible and say, God, speak to my heart, to my life, to my situation. And it'll be amazing how the passage that day will match what you're going through. And of course, I would not be a good pastor if I didn't remind you that if you want wisdom, ask for it. That's what James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if you want wisdom, Ask from God. Ask it from God. If you don't know something, ask God. And then join others in seeking God. So there you have it. Live with a reverent awareness of God. Second, receive wisdom that comes from the word. Third, request wisdom in prayer. Talk to God. Spend more time in prayer this summer. I'm not suggesting that you like bury yourself like three hours and you try to do the I'm a godly saint thing. But I'm just saying while you're walking on the beach, remember to talk to the one who made the beach. When you're looking at the summer sky... Remember to have a moment where you thank him. Like the people at Grand Haven one night when the sun went down and they all applauded and said, good job, God, because he does that stuff all the time. And so request from prayer. And then finally, join others. Second Timothy talks about 2, uh, 19 and 20, talks about pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace with those who call upon God out of a pure heart. I'm so encouraged to see you here today. Summertime, sometimes people get lazy about their church attendance. That's not good. Um, you got time. You come to church now. Thank you for being here. That's good. I, I, I'm not thanking you. You, you, uh, you should be thanking God. You, you're sucking air, and you can come to church, right? And that, you, that he gave you the spiritual wherewithal to know this is where you belong. And you may visit somewhere this summer. A couple times I'm going to be speaking at camps, but I'll be in church. And if you go somewhere else, can I suggest that you do like we did last Sunday, and that you find a cluster of God's people, and you join with them because the Bible commands that. And you are not going to know God by heart unless you seek God the way he says to seek him with God's people, with other people. So you're here, so I'm not, you know, I'm not chastising you. But let me just suggest that summer comes and you have plans to do some different things and to travel. And we're all good with that. We get that. And we do it too. And so we understand that. That's a good thing. But there, 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 it's not a wise thing to teach your kids that God is someone that you ignore while you're on vacation. 
right? But, but to seek God in a special way while you're on vacation. And so when you go somewhere else, cross-pollinate a little bit. Get with some of God's people somewhere else. Worship with them. Be an encouragement, you know. And so uh, that's important. And then we'll have these podcasts, if they're useful to you. The messages are going to be recorded. And so if you're gone for a week or so, you can catch up by listening to those podcasts. And if you do that, you can go to heaven. (laughs) Yeah, that was a joke, right? So there you have it. We have three months ahead of us. We have 13 weeks. We have 90 days to seek God by heart. So we're going to close by singing. And what I'd like to do is um, I'm gonna, we're going to sing a song, and then I'm going to ask uh, Mike Feenstra to close in prayer. Mike's our deacon chairman, and it's his birthday today. And we love him, and thank God for him. So happy birthday, Mike.